today on Ag News Daily. I, I tell people, they're like, how do you, I mean, how do you do it? I mean, how do you do all this? I'm like, I don't know the answer to that. The answer to that is I love what I do. And really, I just kind of like, it falls into place. And if, if you're not passionate about it, um, it's probably not for you. January 25th, Wednesday edition of the Agnes Daily Podcast. Here to bring you the latest headlines and a great conversation today is Tanner and Lenny. Again, we're not in the same state. No, today I'm in Ohio speaking at the Ohio Bankers Association. I'll be following Tom Egerzoffi, who we had on the podcast earlier this week. He and I are going to be talking inflation, the economy, um, and where commodity markets are heading from here, Tanner. Ooh, that sounds riveting. Yes, it will be. All the bankers in the audience will uh, certainly be nerding out. I'm sure you would be too if you were here. Was Is this before or after a meal? It's before, thankfully. We get to speak before, so that's a lucky <laughs> treat today. Uh, yes, I would not envy the person that usually has to speak right after or during a meal as we get put together. So nah, not a big deal one way or the other. Glad you made it there safe. Hopefully you get back home safely because it sounds like we're still in store for quite a bit of winter weather across the mid and upper United States. Yeah, that's the big question mark for me today. It's already started to snow here. I think they're expecting to get like four to six inches. And I wasn't thinking it was going to start snowing until later today, this afternoon. So it's starting earlier than I'm anticipating. So I'm just hoping that we see planes continue to get out of Detroit. But Tanner, as we're talking weather here, the U.S. Climate Prediction Center released their spring 2023 outlook this week which does largely show that the next three months here for average, average precipitation and average temperatures for March, April, and May are indicating a very strong transition away from a La Nina pattern this spring to see a more stormy pattern through the West, Mid-South, Ohio Valley, Mississippi Valley, Southeast, and Great Lakes, which would tighten planning windows for those affected areas. The Midwest and Southern Plains, however, still have a little bit of a question mark, Tanner, as to what kind of moisture levels those areas are going to see, which are some of the areas that need it most desperately as we head into U.S. planting season. So still some question marks out there, but by all accounts, other parts of the U.S. are going to be seeing an El Nino wetter planting season come this spring. Yeah, just like we said yesterday, if the old wives tale of the foggy days means anything uh, that would concur with the forecast that was just released. Just a quick here headline, the World Food Prize Foundation announced yesterday that former Governor Branstad, Terry Branstad, will become its new president. The World Food Prize is based out of Des Moines and awards those who are individuals increasing the quality, quantity, and availability of food in the world. Fun fact, the former president of the World Food Prize Foundation Ken Quinn and Branstad have a unique connection. Do you know what that is, Delaney? I don't actually, Tanner. Tell us. In 2022, Quinn and his wife were driving along Interstate 80 near Iowa City, just coming back from a wedding anniversary celebration. And along out of nowhere, they were hit from behind by another car in an accident. And Governor Branstad is the one who was on scene to help get him and his wife out of their vehicle. So a small world connection there, time and happenstance. And now Branstad will succeed. Ken Quinn in the leadership of the World Food Prize Foundation leadership. 
that seems like a really good fit. Yeah, I think that will do well. I think that uh, Terry will do a great job in that role. Doesn't seem to be such of a high pressure, but definitely a great one to have significant connections in. Absolutely. And he certainly has those connections, especially worldwide with some of his former posts. But Tanner, here back in the U.S., we're continuing to see headlines speak of massive layoffs by multiple tech companies. And we're starting to see the tech wave of layoffs continuing to come. I think the latest round was Google here specifically. But the U.S. workforce was at 163.5 million folks in 2022. This tech sector has laid off or excuse me, has employed roughly 8.7 million of those workers, or about 5% of the workforce. And the latest monthly jobs report released a few weeks ago for the month of December reflected the trend toward reduced workers in the tech sector, along with the financial sector. But it also showed that those lost jobs are being offset by gains in unemployment, or excuse me, by gains in employment in healthcare, energy, and the automotive industries. So we're seeing tech layoffs, but we're also seeing plenty of other jobs on the marketplace for those folks who have been laid off to source other work. The question is going to be when things start to slow down here, uh, how the economy handles that, because of course, as the Fed continues to raise interest rates and continues to uh, weaken the dollar to some extent. They're really trying to see if they can push unemployment back up a little higher, which should also help to slow the spend of the economy. But right now, the tech layoffs have not been able to really sustain that plan that the Fed has, but uh, maybe coming down the road. Yeah, there's certainly going to be a lot of monetary policy adjustments made throughout the next 12 to 18 months, we look at what the new House Rules Committee nominations look like. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy issued his roster, especially for the Republican side of the House Rules Committee. He made good on his pledges that were made during the struggled vote for his seat. He pledged that he would give three positions of this powerful panel away to those that were holding out. So he currently names Republican Thomas Massey of Kentucky, Ralph Norman of South Carolina, and Chip Roy of Texas to the panel. All three of these have track records on holding up major spending legislation, emergency disaster aid, and forcing votes on divisive amendments according uh, against the wishes of other GOP leadership. Norman and Ryan, Norman and Roy were among those initially opposing McCarthy's speaker bid, but it looks like this is part of the plan to continue to push some legislation through the where this brings maybe some concern to our listeners is Norman in the past had unsuccessfully pushed a crop insurance amendment through that would cut premium incentives and subsidies by more than 15% for our listeners. He was looking to lump that in with other bills to adjust the gross incomes of those involved in agriculture. Other amendments uh, obviously had proposed the effectively muting of the harvest price option, also related to crop insurance. So it'll be interesting to see as the farm bill comes out and what types of adjustments are made in that package. But again, the role of this House Rules Committee is the second look before allowing bills to get to the floor. So they're kind of the gatekeepers of legislation. And it'll be interesting to see if there's anything to get stopped and turned back around before getting there that might favor our listeners. Well, one thing that doesn't seem to favor our listeners, Tanner, is the continued negotiations with Mexico over their intended GMO corn ban. 
Mexico and the U.S. met earlier this week, and the U.S. is not very happy about it. They said that Mexico has failed to satisfy their, quote, grave concerns of the United States over the potential ban on imports of U.S. GMO corn, according to trade officials, after negotiations in Mexico City on Monday. They said they made it clear that this is an issue that, if not resolved, We'll be considering all options here on the U.S.'s front, including taking formal steps to enforce the rights negotiated under the USMCA agreement. Of course, Senator, the intended ban would go into effect January 2024, so we still have some time here to negotiate. But according to Ag's Undersecretary Alexis Taylor, she said they have been actively engaging the U.S. between or to discuss these modifications. But she said, however, these changes are not sufficient. And of course, we know Mexico reportedly offered a delay on the ban of GMO imports until January 2025. But the U.S. is still saying that is not enough considering the U.S. MCA agreement. So we are going to be kicking this can down the road a little bit longer, it seems, Tanner. Yeah, it certainly seems like another area we're going to see the can kick down the road is in the state of Iowa as it relates to the CO2 pipelines. A spat of bills, according to this article, was introduced in the Iowa Senate this week that would severely restrict the ongoing plans for the building of the carbon pipelines throughout the state of Iowa. Five different bills were introduced by Senator Jeff Taylor from Sioux Center. He is a Republican that stated he's looking to curtail the eminent domain opportunities for hazardous liquid pipeline companies, limiting their ability to conduct land surveys, negotiate easements, and require them to identify all investors related in the projects. Taylor's among the minority of vocal Republicans here in the state of Iowa that are pushing for more protections. They did also try to propose bills such as this last year, Delaney, but they failed. The only provision that gained traction last year would have delayed the empowerment of the project until a month later, giving time for more local hearings. But this process is now looking to get further delayed if these bills make it through and into legislation. They're stating here a lot of the House speakers are saying in their 16 years plus combined service in the Iowa House, they've never heard more concerns for an issue from their constituents related to a single issue than this CO2 pipeline. Several letters have been written into the Iowa legislature in opposition, obviously, as this is written in that regard. And states why it should be a number one preference and project for him and his committee members to work on in the 2023 legislature year. So Delaney, we could see some opposition for the pipeline companies that we've been reporting on here throughout the state of Iowa. I know it seems like about every other day or at least once a week, we get a headline related to these projects and we'll see if they actually make it into fruition. So it'll be interesting to see here. So far, it looks like Summit has about 63% of its route voluntarily signed up. That's up from the 50% in September. So they're looking obviously for the remaining 37% to come on board voluntarily, or that's when you would enforce potential eminent domain laws. So we'll see here if any of Taylor's bills make it through and into Iowa law. Well, they certainly have a lot of headwind fighting against them, Tanner. So it doesn't seem good right now for those folks interested in the part in the carbon pipelines. I would agree. It it certainly does seem like that. But I think in all the discussions that we've had on this podcast with those representatives, it was to be expected. 
Absolutely. Well, I tell you what, Tanner, I think I'm pretty much out of news today, aside from looking at markets here in the overnight. What about you? I just got one last headline. Seems like everything I had today was political, but the Ukrainian government has a couple of step downs in their major positions after their the Ukrainian president announced yesterday they had a staff shakeup. A couple of major resignations were encouraged on Tuesday. The Ukrainian's defense ministry announced that their deputy minister of defense had left his post. There was accusations of inflating the price of food sent to the soldiers on the battlefield, potentially marking up that cost more than three times, which was assumed to be personal gain. The deputy head of the Ukrainian presidential office also resigned supposedly tied to the use of a Chevy Tahoe vehicle that was donated to Ukraine for the purpose of evacuating civilians. A couple of other not so notable positions resigned also, but this put President Zelensky in a tough position for a press conference where he stated, I want this to be clear, there will be no return to what was used in the past, the people we confided in, and the various people that had close access to our institution, people who spent their entire lives chasing a chair rather than the rights of Ukrainian people. So it sounds like there's a shakeup in the house that Zelensky built as far as Ukrainian leadership. So we'll continue to monitor that as well. But that's the last headline that I have. Well, Tanner, then I suppose we better hop in and chat markets for today. Here in the overnight, we're seeing some mixed trade as we head into opening session. New crop corn will open just a half a cent higher at 591 and three quarters. New crop soybeans will open four cents lower at 1334. And as we turn our attention to the wheat complex today, higher across the board here. Hard red March winter wheat will open 10 and a half cents higher right at that 844 mark where we've been seeming to trend for quite some time now. And as we hop over into the livestock markets, they, of course, uh, pushed lower yesterday when we saw grains starting to rally, but today are seeing a little bit of a reverse tune. February live cattle up 37 and a half cents will open at a buck 57.85. March feeders will open 32 and a half cents higher at a buck 83.60. And February lean hogs up, excuse me, down 47 and a half cents today will open at 77.10. Tanner, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation today with Trey Wasserberger, who is receiving an exciting award this week at Top Producer in Nashville. Well, Tanner, some of our listeners this week might be at the Top Producer Summit in Nashville this week, but we are lucky to be joined today by Trey Wasserberger, who is this year's winner of the Top Producer New Horizons Award. So Trey, we are certainly excited to have you and what congratulations, what an exciting honor for you. Yeah, thank you guys for having me on and, and uh, thank you Farm Journal for the opportunity and and those that uh, part of my team. So yeah, big day for us. We get the award tonight. So pretty cool. It is really neat. And it's neat that each year top producer recognizes a producer and you specifically have to be under the age of 35 and you demonstrate an excellence in the business of farming, specifically related to marketing, finance, technology, and family and employee retention. So Trey, tell us a little bit about your operation and how you got into the ranching business, because as I understand it, you didn't come from a farming or a ranching background. Yeah, that's right. Uh, um, you know, my dad was a teacher and my mom was a nurse. Um, you know, my family, both sides of my family have uh, ranches in northern Wyoming, but being the youngest son and youngest grandson, you know, I just kind of had to pave my own path and um, met my wife in the University of Wyoming. And, uh, you know, we moved to North Platte, Nebraska. Her family's from Hershey. They run a feed yard there. And uh, we just slowly got into the business, developing heifers, buying feeder cattle. 
got introduced to um, Bill Rischel of Rischel Angus, you know, prominent uh, seed stock breeder who's up for saddle and sirloin this year. Um, and we just, through our bank, we just have grown and we jumped right into the register business. I'd never worked in a registered business, but I'd been in the commercial business. And uh, yeah, it's been great. Went from about 100 bulls in 2018 to we're going to sell about 400 in the sale this year on St. Patty's Day. So um, we're very, very progressive, uh, uh, very, very innovative breeders. And um, it's opened up a lot of avenues. Um, we've developed a TD feed test which is a commercial feed test at the feed yard where customers of our bulls can come in and feed their cattle and we'll buy them or they'll buy them and feed them, give about $25,000 cash for five categories every year at the bull sale. And that's also opened up some other opportunities. And um, one of the biggest things I'm most proud about and is uh, the sustainable beef project here in North Platte, Nebraska, which is the beef packing plant that broke ground in October. Uh, we're in a harvest about 1500 head a day and it's producer owned and, um, we have partnered up with, uh, the largest buyer of American beef and Walmart to sell our product together. And, uh, yeah, it's been a whirlwind and, you know, it just keeps opportunities just keep showing up and we take them. We never walk away from opportunity. So you never know what can happen if you just say, yeah, so, so that's where we are today. <laughs> that is exactly the way our listeners should look at this. You never know what's going to happen if you say yes. I want to know how that partnership with Walmart kind of got started. Where did that all begin? Yeah, so Bill Rupp, who was the former uh, CEO of uh, JBS Swift and Cargill Beef, um, he's, a, he's a founder of Sustainable Beef as well as, as I am, and a, um, he's kind of our offensive coordinator. He's behind the scenes. He doesn't want to be up front, but he likes uh, – he's a, he's a mentor of mine. I talked to him every – I talked to him this morning at 5 o'clock, um, and he – he just got this huge, uh, like, you know, 30, 40 years of the beef business, and he's very, very well respected. And actually, Walmart reached out to him and said, hey, we've, we've heard about this project, North Platte. You know, let's kind of, we've done business for 20 years together. Let's see how this is, what you guys got going. And we met with them and told them our morals and our ethics about being sustainable and being regenerative and being conservationist. And um, it became more, you know, we did it for selfish reasons, right, for cattlemen and then it turned into more than that. It turned into a community that was starving for economic impact. And, and uh, we, this is a $1.1 billion impact for our community um, as stated by Dr. Ernie Goss from Creighton university who did our feasibility study and, and uh, Walmart just loved uh, uh, how we were aligned and the people, you know, really they told us, we don't, we don't um, invest in projects. We invest in people and we love what you guys are doing here and we want to be a part of it. And we said, wow, you know, we were flattered, right? Um, uh, for them to put a billion dollar impact into our community. And they're, they're actually our largest employer in North Platte already. And uh, we have a Walmart distribution center here. And also we have a large store. So they have a huge footprint here already and for them to, to invest, you know, to get a $400 million project into the air was, uh, was amazing. And they really, really love Bill Rupp and they trust him. Um, and so, yeah, they, they saddled up and they've been rowing the boat. They were here in North Platte last a week ago and, and that's really cool, you know, to have the largest retailer coming here into the Sandhills of Nebraska and, and uh, showing up for our community. And yeah, I don't know. It, it, uh, it's, it's going to be, it's, it's great for the beef business. We got another player, another competitor in the beef packing industry and, and a community that that's median wage is $30,000. And uh, our starting wage is going to be 55,000. It's almost double the median wage. And, uh, 
there's already economic impact happening. We're moving about 400 loads a day and, uh, of dirt and, uh, we're, we're pouring concrete and, uh, and yeah, this town is booming already. And I just talked to the state economic developer, uh, Tony Goings this morning. Um, he's, he's, I, I have to be in Nashville for the award, of course, and he's going to, um, he's actually testifying to the unicameral and Lincoln and, and, uh, he's just getting some facts straight on the, on the economic impact we've shown. So that's yeah, pretty cool. Uh, you know, we've been on Wall Street Journal, Fox News, yeah, U.S. Ag Report or U.S. Farm Report. Now, I mean, <laughs> we've been on all of them, and, and uh, we're we're very very proud of what we've done and our message and the and the people we're in, uh, invested with. And I don't know, it's uh, there's not a footprint or a uh, or a, a playbook or a blueprint for what we're doing. So um, every day is a new day and comes up with new challenges, and it's all just because you know three or four cattle feeders said yes and. And then the town said yes, and then Walmart said yes. I mean, everybody along this uh, supply chain said yes, we want to do this, and look where it's gotten. So yeah, yeah. Any, I get young guys all the time. How do I get started? How do I get started? And I, you know, find a mentor and somebody you uh, emulate in the industry, and, and get next to them and outwork them, and and they'll show you. That's the best part about agriculture. Is I'm learning that in the in the in the corporate world, like they don't trade secrets, right? And uh, in agriculture, it's not that way. I mean, I can call anybody within, I have five mentors in every aspect of, or every sector in the industry that shouldn't be answering the Sandhill Cowboys number, but they do. And they tell me, yeah, no, you shouldn't do that. Or no, you do need to genomic those calves at birth. Or no, you do need to make that ribeye smaller to fit the tray. Or no, you do need to think about this long-term implant. And that, that information is for free and it's available. It's readily available. And it's a beautiful thing in agriculture because it's not that way in other industries. So yeah, if you're a young man or woman, just get next to your mentor and, and, uh, outwork them and they'll, they'll, uh, they'll give you the keys. And, uh, it's a beautiful thing. So I'm thankful for all my mentors that uh, helped me get here. No doubt. So Trey, uh, tonight when you receive the word, do you have to share remarks with the audience or talk at all? Or, I mean, what are you expecting to, to go to do once you head into this award ceremony? Tell us a little bit about that. So uh, I do, I'm supposed to have a brief um, quotation, brief um, remarks. And I'm just going to, yeah, I just want to thank, you know, all my mentors that I've been involved with and along the way, the Bill Richels, Kirk Olson's, uh, the Pete Lapisotis's, the David Briggs, the Bill Rupps, um, the David Baskins. I mean, all these guys that have, have taken me under their wing and showed me how this industry works. And, uh, you know, I'm involved in every aspect of the industry now and wasn't, wasn't born in it either. And so, uh, it, it, there's a lot of opportunity out there for young men. And I, I just, you know, I want to thank part. And this is really cool too, to honor a young producer. I love that because I just read a report in, in Nebraska, the average ranchers, uh, knocking at the door, 60 years old in Nebraska. Well, you know, in the corporate world, you're, you're looking at retirement. Um, you know, it's a huge void of that. We've got to fill the gap in this, equity and capital problem and and how do we stay um you know regenerative and how do we stay sustainable um to get out there and show you know a young family that you know just said yes and found a good partner in their bank that believed in them and he just outworked people and uh i, I tell people they're like how do you i mean how do you do it i mean how do you do all of it and i'm like i don't know the answer to that the answer to that is i love what i do and for some reason i just kind of like it falls into place. And if, you, if you're not passionate about it, um, it's probably not for you. 
I mean, I got home late last night. We're cabbing. It's January. It's six degrees outside. And, and uh, now I got to get jump on a plane, get to Nashville and, and then come back. And, uh, you know, we've got a board meeting this week too, sustainable beef. And but I love what I do. And you don't, you don't look at the clock. Right. And, uh, I don't know. I'm just incredibly blessed. And I love what I do. And I'm proud of what I do, what we do and my family and my wife, especially she, she's crazy. I don't know why she thinks, you know, why she's just amazing that she even allows this stuff to happen. But, um, I'm going to tell my, we have four children as well. We have a son and two daughters and another son. And I'm going to tell my boys, marry a cattle feeder's daughter because they're tough. I mean, they, <laughs> they enjoy pain almost. And if they're not, if she's not uncomfortable, she's not comfortable almost. So, uh, I owe a lot to her as well. So it sounds like there's been a lot of support around you every step of the path that you've taken. What is something that our listeners could do to help you out on these next steps forward? Yeah, I get that a lot, which is really cool. I mean, you get a lot of producers all over the country. We sell bulls to 30 states already, but even the outreach of that um, has been incredible. I mean, I've I've made lifelong friends in the UK, in Australia, um, in, in, uh, you know, the South Pacific. And they all want to do, you know, how can we help you? And I have my next door neighbor. It's really cool. My, uh, my neighbor and one of my bull customers got the dirt contract to fill in for the plant. I mean, and he's just like, man, how can I help? And I'm like, you know, just support this project. Um, you know, we have to, this community and, and, and the beef industry needs to choose our hard. And sometimes, you know, standing up and proclaiming that this industry is broken and the supply chain is not fair and the market is uncompetitive. That's hard. And I've been there and I've, and I've beat that drum and I've spoken to Congress and I've, and I've met with all these, um, you know, politicians that have the ability to change this industry. And that's hard, but, you know, whining and complaining and, and not taking action is, is really hard. And it was even easier to just say, well, you know what? I'm going to take matters into my own hands and take control of my own destiny and do something for my family and for my community and for my industry. And that was, that was hard, but it was, it was easier than sitting there trying to, uh, you know, talk to a politician, uh, you know, teach carbon sequestration to a guy, to a politician in South Carolina. I mean, it's, that's hard. I've been there and that's incredibly tough. It was a lot easier to just, you know, pick up the flag, go look in the mirror. You know, I read a quote the other day, Teddy Roosevelt said, if you could, if you could talk to the person that looks you in the mirror, he's, he's responsible for like 99% of your problems. I mean, he's also responsible for, you know, taking action and, and taking control of your destiny and being innovative and, and saying yes and taking up opportunities and doing better. Um, and, you know, as a producer, just get behind this project. This is huge. It's a game changer for the beef industry. You have a, you have a huge player, the number one seller of U.S. beef, wanting to invest in rural America and the beef and the strengthening of the beef supply. That's, that's, it's never been done. And we're, we're building a startup greenfield plant in the middle of, of beef country. And we're going to raise the corn basis to do it. Um, you know, a billion-dollar impact comes attached to it. There's no one in this beef industry. I tell this all the time. I spoke at U.S. Cattlemen's. I'm speaking at NCBA. And I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell all of them, there's not one uh, person in, in ag, not just beef, but ag that can't benefit from this project. And so get behind it, reach out, you know, you know, look at, you know, look us up on social media, Um, you know, cheer us on and and talk about the good that this is going to bring 
to, you know, strengthening of our supply chain in the beef industry and ag, and ag in general. And, uh, you know, this is, this is a win for everybody involved. If you've got any kind of ties to agriculture, I don't care if you sell seed corn. I don't care if you sell John Deere tractors. This is going to benefit you. It, you know, a billion, $1.1 billion annually is going to be floating around rural America that wasn't there before. And that's up for the taking, and who's going to go get it? And uh, so, you know, this is an opportunity for everybody involved and, you know, say yes and, and do it. And day by day, um, we'll get this thing built and uh, we're going to bring, you know, a billion dollar impact with us. So, yeah, it's a cer- certainly exciting what you guys are doing. And again, Trey, a big thank you to for us to join us today on the podcast, but also big congratulations. We're looking forward to watching your story and see what other big things are coming down the pipeline for you guys. Yeah, thank you guys for having me on and, and for uh, putting a spotlight on agriculture, specifically uh, sustainable beef and, and the entrepreneurs that are a part of it. Um, they deserve, you know, this is a win for all of us involved. And, and uh, it's really cool that my mentors want, you know, they want me to be successful and get um, accreditation in the, in the industry and, and they don't want any credit. And uh, that's what's cool about agriculture. Not, not only will they tell you, you know, lifelong lessons of 40, 50 years in, in the industry for free, but they also want you to be successful and cheer you on. And it's not that way in corporate America. I mean, I'm telling you, it's a, it's a lock and key, really tight to the vest. How we do business is within these walls and they don't cheer on their, 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 their competitors. They don't. And this is different and it's cool. And I'm proud of, of my family and my wife and, and everybody involved in TD Angus and sustainable beef and, and uh, it's going to be a big deal and it's going to be fun to watch. It's just, you know, we're just moving dirt now. Uh, this story is just unfolding now and it's going to be a pretty good book, but this is just the first chapter. So it's going to take great people to get it to the finish line, but day by day, we'll get it done. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, Trey, for hopping on with us. Certainly appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me on. If you can tell, I get a little passionate. <laughs> And just as we talked last week with a couple of young leaders in agriculture, it's really cool to get guests like this to be a friend of the Ag News Daily Podcast and share their stories and ambitions with our listeners. Hopefully a little extra motivation, some passion definitely came through in that conversation today. It certainly did. It was really interesting to hear his background. He's got a lot of irons in the fire, just as I'm sure many of our listeners do too. Absolutely. But for today, that seems like enough. So what do you say, Delaney? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.